Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Uh, is he worthy? As people gather all over the planet today, because of this day, as the Spirit of God looks into each and every one of our hearts, he sees whether or not for us personally, we have found Christ to be worthy, worthy to be our God, our King, our Savior, our Lord, our leader, the center of our life. That scene that Teresa read from Revelation chapter 5, it's an extraordinary passage of Scripture, and it's very, very pertinent to we that are alive today, where it read about how that there was this scroll in the hands of the throne, the Father on the throne, and nobody was found worthy to open the scroll, and the scroll had seven seals around it. That portion of Scripture is talking about a time in human history that when that was written was almost 2,000 years away. But here's what's important. That time in human history is upon us today. Let me explain to you what was happening in Revelation 5. In Revelation 5, it was a time where God was going to intervene once again in human history. It is a time coming where the rule of man is going to end and the rule of God is going to begin. That, that prayer that is prayed so often, you know, your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. That Revelation 5 is talking about when that transition is about to happen. And all of heaven is silent. They're looking for someone that's worthy to wield this kind of power. You know, someone that's got, got all power has to be very responsible, has to be very pure. And so all heaven is silent. No one's found worthy. And then all of a sudden, one, a human being from the tribe of Judah. But then when this human being steps forth, it becomes clear it's not just any human being. It says, and then everybody looked and there was a lamb as though it had been slain. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus walking, he pointed to him and he said, look, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin is the thing that is wrecking our world, wrecking our personal world. And God wants to rescue us from it. But there's a time in human history where he's going to intervene and we are living at the very edge of that time. It is highly likely you and I and everybody sitting here today will, will live to experience that scroll being opened. And it's Jesus, the one that has demonstrated that even though he's the almighty creator, his almighty power is always harnessed, always governed by his sacrificial love. The lamb slain, it's Jesus hanging on that cross saying, I love you human beings that I've created so much that I will not use any of my power to hurt you, but I will use everything I can to prove to you that you can trust me. I'm the lover of your soul. I'm the safest person in the universe. All that is encapsulated in that passage of Scripture, Revelation 5. Is he worthy? So as we sit here today, in each and every one of our hearts, in each and every one of our lives, we have decided, is he worthy? Now, here's the great thing. Some of us came in here today in one condition, frankly, realistically, about his worthiness in our life. Maybe we've given him a slight piece of our life, but we are going to be able to leave here today completely different, completely changed, where he will be worthy to rule and to reign every part of our lives. That opportunity is going to be given today. So in heaven, we see that they're all bowing down, they're worshiping, they're saying, you're worthy of honor and dominion and power. You're worthy, you're worthy. You have proven yourself a sacrificial lover of all those that you created in the universe. We want you to have the power. We want you to wield the power. 
is what heaven was saying in that revelation passage but when we turn it around and we look at things down here on earth what do we find is he considered worthy for example on earth today in the political world I mean do the leaders of our nations do they all say I just want to find out what the will of God is I want to find out what Jesus wants us to do in the way that we handle the affairs of the nations is he considered worthy in politics? What, what about in the judicial world, in the world of law? Do our courts, are they filled with people that are utterly concerned that Jesus' truth, that the righteousness of God always prevail, that true justice, justice in God's eyes, that that's what prevails? What about in the world of science? Do, do the men and women of science, do they say, we know that Christ created everything from nothing and that he is the center of all of our learning and we must relate all that we find to him because we're just discovering what he already did you know we, we study the atom he created the atom is that what we find in science today I think you know it's not what about the educational world do our educators do our people that are uh, in the institutions of higher learning are they saying to their pupils are our elementary school teachers and our middle school and our high school are they saying to their students regularly above all things you must know your creator Christ and you must love him and serve him you must learn to live by his word because it's only by his word that we can ever have life in its fullness and peace is that what our educators promote is that what our our places of higher learning promote do they promote Christ do they say above all things he's worthy to be followed what about the literary world do, do our works of literature do our books do our poems do our songwriters and so forth do they esteem Jesus worthy and all their writings center around him and and honor him and promote his will on earth what about the business business world do our movers and shakers in the business world, do they, do they first and foremost submit their lives, their policies? Their, John, I'm not sure what's going on. Handheld. Is this on? It's not. How about now? Yeah. All right. in, our, in our business world, is that the way business is conducted? That the CEOs and leaders of business, they say, you know, above all things, I want to do what is right in the sight of God. Uh, it's okay. I, I got this one. I need that one. Oh, you need, you need this one? <laughs> so that one's better than the thing you gave me. I'm going to need this one in a little bit. Okay, you're talking that one. All right. Now, on. you see, it's an inferior mic. I can tell already. <laughs> He wants to sound good. He doesn't care how I sound. <laughs> what about the technology world? Is he found worthy there? Is he first and foremost? Is his will considered first and foremost as technology is developed and utilized? And then what about the entertainment world? You know, the music world, the film world, the entertainment world. Do they all, when they produce their films... And when they write their songs, are the lyrics just full of God-honoring lyrics that build people up and move people to be inspired to do what is right in the sight of God and man? Is that what we find? What about a sports world? You know, is it just full of athletes that say, first and foremost, I am here given a gift by God and I want to honor Him with my body, with my time, with my talents, with my treasure? 
No, I don't think we find it. You know that. And what about the social media world? Does our social media world promote the worthy one, Jesus? Does it promote his word, his will, his ways? Is it just full of encouraging, righteous messaging that all centers in him, that all consults him before it's ever written out? Well, we, we know the answers to all these things, right? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're, you're thinking, Randy, the problem with you, man, is you're, you're mixing religion with reality. You know, religion is just this thing that everybody has. It's kind of individualized. It's, it's what you think. It's what you feel. It's what you believe. It's what makes you feel good about yourself. It's not based on reality, Randy. The, the real world functions like this. Religion is different. It has nothing to do with reality. It has nothing to do with the real world. And some of you probably feel that way. I just want to say respectfully that I don't believe that for one second. I believe that seen in heaven in Revelation 5, that's reality. I believe there is an unseen reality. There is a hierarchy of spiritual beings that rule over all things, Christ being King of kings and Lord of lords. I believe that today, this day that we are here, it is not just a religious day, although it is that in the way that some people think. I believe this day that we have named Easter, I believe it with all my heart, it is the core reality. It is the greatest event that has happened in human history. It is the pivotal event in human history. It means, if nothing else, and I'll develop this further, it means that death, death, this thing that we have lived with, this thing that we have accepted, this thing that we have just kind of called normal because we can't do anything about it, it means that death does not have the last word on human life. There is one that came and lived and died and rose again and promised that all those that trust in him and become his followers will rise again also. And so this day is the greatest event in human history. Mark this down. If you don't hear anything in this message, mark it down. Easter, the day we call Easter, when Jesus rose from the grave, it is the greatest event in human history. Now that brings us to something kind of personal. The, the, reasons, the reasons that we're here today. And it would be a lot of fun. A lot of fun to just find out all the reasons represented in this room. I mean, for some of us, we're here, and, I, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anybody, but we're here because Easter is kind of a tradition, and we have developed a tradition, and it's a good one, that we go to places like this, a place of worship, and we show our respects to our maker on Easter. Uh, some of us, it's, it's kind of a family tradition. You know, we, it's a time when we get all the relatives together and we eat great food and we celebrate the warmth and love of family and, and we kind of have a reverent time, albeit it might not be, you know, directed toward Jesus necessarily. So some of us are here for that because this is part of it. We, we were maybe invited. A lot of us might be here today because somebody invited us. It might be a friend, it might be a family member, it might be a work associate. Uh, associate and I hope that that's so and and that's wonderful and some of us <laughs> it went beyond an invite I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands but some of us truth be told man we were we were almost kidnapped we were coerced <laughs> we were like you will you will I ask you to do one thing for me you will you will go to church with me and you will sit there and pay attention and act like it you care <laughs> And here you are, <laughs> acting like you care. <laughs> and then there's some of us, we can't put our finger on it, but we've kind of hit this season in life, 
And all of a sudden, we find our minds going into places it, it hadn't gone in. Before this, we had just been sort of pursuing various goals, and we'd hit a goal and then pursue another one and hit a goal and pursue another one. But now we're at that place where we're saying, you know, I, I'm not sure I, I understand why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. And, and it doesn't seem to have a lot of meaning. It's like I accomplish, I achieve, I acquire, and it, and it doesn't seem to ring the bell that I thought it was going to ring. And so you're here because... There's just something that's restless in you, and you're thinking, I don't know, I don't know. I went through this as a young man, age 23. The thought came, I don't know, maybe it's God that I need. Maybe it's God. Some of you are here because of that. And then there's some of us that are here. You are in a very different place. It's kind of a step up. It's like you're in a season in your life where you are absolutely reconsidering every part of your life, your entire value system, and you are looking. You're thinking, maybe, maybe I actually need the leadership of the living God, the creator of the universe. And you are here today because you're seeking. You're actually seeking God, thinking that maybe, maybe he is what you want really more importantly he's what you you need there's a verse that talks about seeking it's in the book of acts in the new testament chapter 17 speaking of god it says from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history this is fascinating saying that that God put you here in this time frame, me in this time frame, instead of in medieval times. How many of you are glad of that? I am so glad. I would have been the lousiest medieval person. <laughs> that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, meaning that he literally caused some of us to be born here in America and some of us to be born in Russia and in other portions of the earth and various countries and so forth now it goes on and says the important thing that i was leading to god did this he put us in these various portions of history these various countries he did this that they would what does it say seek him, seek him. god actually wants to be sought we all feel this way we don't want someone that doesn't want us we don't want to chase someone that's never going to want us and God is the same way R religion treats God like he's an ignoramus religion treats God like he is this big powerful dumb individual that can be easily appeased say a few prayers do a few rituals give some money and you can get the big man off your back and on your side and he'll bless you and give you what you want it treats God like he's not a relationally intelligent being that really wants to be wanted for himself. God loves us all. He pursues us, but he pursues us with boundaries. He doesn't violate our free will. He waits, he waits, and he waits until we'll start to seek him. He immerses us in lots of good things. We tend to ignore them and only fixate on the bad things, but, but nevertheless, he waits until we want him. But he wants us. He, he, he made that very clear on the cross in Christ. That, that's God with his arms spread wide and spikes in his hands saying, I love you so much. This is what I will do to prove you. You can trust me. I am for you. And I want you. But we have to want him. We have to seek him. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. That is thought-provoking, man. 
That, is, that, that, that could be saying something like, you know, we're just a tiny atom in the being of God. But what it's importantly saying is this, is that he's near. Some of us, it's possible in this room, I don't know what your life has been like. I know what mine was like before I came to Christ, and it hasn't been spotless perfect since, but it's certainly been different. But up until age 23, when I turned to Christ and became his follower, I lived far from God. And I broke about all of his laws that there was. And maybe some of you, as you sit here today, you're, you're trying to just put on your game face, but inside you feel far from God. And let me tell you how some of you feel. Some of you feel like it's actually too late for you, that you've gone too far, you're too old, you've burned too many years, you can't possibly make up for the misdeeds of your past, and so you feel kind of hopeless. You're still here hoping there might be some, some way for you to, to regain access to God. But that's not the truth. The truth is he's close to all of us. The Listen to me. The further you feel from God today, if you feel far from God, if you are laying or, or weighing down, being weighed down with guilt and shame and fear today, God is nearer to you probably than any of the rest of us. He wants to let you know that he loves you. He's for you. Forgiveness of everything you've ever done and everything you have not done that you should have done is available. He just wants you to, to be willing to desire him, to trust him, to follow him. So he's near us today, but we have a lot of diverse reasons, if we're honest, about why we're here today. Now, behind all of our reasons for being here today, there is the reason. There is the reason of Easter. Now, I want you to think about this thing for a minute. If you go back through human history, as far back as we can go through recorded human history, Everything has been pretty much the same. Human beings have lived and struggled and tried to grind out an existence, find as much joy, as much happiness as we can, find as much love as we can, as much peace as we can, but it's tough sailing. It's always been tough sailing. Average lifespan until 1850 was only 50 years old. Most people lived very, very short lives in the ancient world, but it was a grind. It was a struggle. It was brutal. There was heartbreak and betrayal and deception and crime and violence and war. These things have just chased us down through the ages. Disease, death, accidents. That's been the human dilemma. We, we live a few short years and we try to make the best of it, but then we suffer and we die. War after war, hatred after hatred, prejudice after prejudice, cruelty upon cruelty. Nothing changes. Nothing's changed today. It's just that we can do it bigger and faster on a bigger, faster scale, our violence and our cruelty today. But there was one time, only once, and it was like a flash of lightning compared to the time frame of human history. Just one little flash. You had to catch it. You had to, to really direct your attention to it. One little flash for a brief three and one half years. Three and one half years, someone stepped onto the planet unlike anyone that has ever stepped onto the planet before. We know him by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He stepped on the planet and no one, no one ever behaved the way he behaved no one ever conducted themselves the way he conducted himself he stood before a crowd of enemies at one point and said can any of you charge me with sin since you're so hateful toward me and none of them their mouths were silent one life stood on this planet who could say they were sinless and it was the kindest life the most beautiful life the most profound life the planet had ever seen he taught things that no one had ever taught 
But we wouldn't be talking about him or thinking about him today if that's all he did. The truth is, for three and one half years, he did things that completely confounded the laws of physics as we understand them. He did what we call today miracle upon miracle. Human history would have never recorded the name of Jesus Nazareth. Take this to the bank. Would have never known of him. He would have been one more Jewish peasant that nobody ever heard of unless for three and a half years he did undeniable miracles again and again and again. He opened blind eyes. He took crippled limbs. He took paralytics that had been paralyzed for most of their life and healed them. He spoke to a storm and caused it to cease instantaneously. He opened blind eyes, as I said, and he raised the dead on three different occasions. He predicted his own death repeatedly through the three and a half years. He told his followers exactly how he was going to be killed, and he also told them each time that after three days he would rise again from the dead. He made claims about himself that no sane man would ever make unless they were the truth. He said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one could come to the Father, meaning God, except through him. He said that he is the one that every human being will stand before to be judged someday. He said he is the one that has the power to raise the dead and that he will someday. He claimed to be none other than the creator of the universe in human form. He made these claims, but they all would have been null and void and forgotten quickly if he had not have been able to actually rise back up from the dead as he predicted but make no mistake we would have never heard of the name of Jesus if he had not had a supernatural life for three and a half years demonstrating that for one time in human history there was someone who could actually rescue us from disease and rescue us from plague and rescue us from bad weather even multiply bread and feed the planet for one little flash in human history there was something beautiful there was something to give us hope that this world, this life could really be what we want to be. Let me tell you something about you. Every single one of you in this room, we're a lot alike. You want perfect happiness. You want to be happy, not just today. You want to be happy every day. And you don't want just a little happiness. You want perfect happiness. You don't want there to be any disease, pain, death, crime, war. You don't want there to be any accidents. You want your life and the life of everyone, if you could blink your eyes and do it, to be totally wonderful all the time. But we can't do it. No government can do it. No human. There's only been one flash for three and a half years. One person stood on the planet and showed that he had the power and the heart to rescue us from what no one else can rescue us from. If you're satisfied, let me just say something. If you're satisfied, if you're satisfied with this life and this world as it is, go for it, man. You got your hundred years, maybe, to grind it out. But if you know that in your heart of hearts you want more you want perfect love perfect joy perfect relationships perfect health perfect perfect happiness and you want it forever and you you don't want it just for you you'd like to give it to everyone well then you can only come to one person there's only been one time in history that there's any evidence that such a thing can be happened and it was that time when jesus of nazareth for a brief three and a half years demonstrated that indeed there was power to rescue humanity from what we can't rescue ourselves from. But then evil, evil did what it does. Evil destroys all that's good. We have a bad idea about sin. We think that sin is just God trying to steal fun from us. It's God trying to rescue us from that which is destroying us and has destroyed our world and, and introduces chaos into everything. 
So Jesus was finally the victim of evil. But he wasn't a victim. He said from the beginning that he would lay down his life so that he could take it up again. He was demonstrating the glory of God. The glory of God is his sacrificial love for we who he created. It's a sacrificial love that will die for we that use his name as a cuss word, for we that don't give him a thought, for we that, that take everything that he gives us and never give him thanks for that. He still loves us. He's still for us. And his sacrificial love on the cross demonstrates that. And so Jesus demonstrates the glory of God. It's not his power. It is his power governed by this tender, gentle, sacrificial love that makes him the most safe person in all the universe. So let's pause and look at the reason, the real reason we are here today. All over the world, about 2 billion people are in some way celebrating this day called Easter. But there's only one reason that we are. Let's review the actual story that occurred. We'll go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. It says, after the Sabbath, that would have been a Saturday, at dawn on the first day of the week, that would have been Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like, what is the word? Lightning, blinding bright light. And his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were afraid of him. I'll develop in a minute who the guards were. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was, what is the word? Crucified. Make no mistake. He died. He entered into death to show us how much he loves us and how we can trust him entirely. It goes on. The angel says, He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Jesus said four different times through his three and a half year ministry that he would suffer by the, the leaders, he would be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day from the dead. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly. Tell his disciples, that's his followers, that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. The reason we are actually here, the core reason, even if you were cursed to be here today, the reason that person coerced you is because something happened. I'm talking about reality. Do not divorce religion from reality. I have no patience with religion. I only care about reality. We are here today because something really happened. Jesus, the creator of the universe, really came and lived a life for 33 years on our planet and died a sacrificial death to express his love and that there's mercy, there's forgiveness, there's a welcome home for every human being that seeks him, wants him, is willing to trust him and become his follower. And then he rose from the grave to show that every promise he made, promises like that all of our sins will be forgiven and that those that follow him will be given eternal life as a free gift and that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on this earth that finally the grind and the hate and the sorrow and the pain and the disease and the death that he will intervene again. He will come again and bring it to an end. All those promises, all those claims were all validated when he rose from the grave we are here today two billion people strong will gather and celebrate in some reason because some in some way today because Jesus came lived died and rose again now 
I know some of you are thinking, but Randy, how do you know that, man? I mean, you know, you, you just, you've just chosen to believe that. Uh, that. That's why they call it religion. You know, I could choose to worship a can of tomato soup, and if that's what makes me feel good, who are you to say that tomato soup is not something to be worshipped, you know? That doesn't work with me. I only care about reality. As a 23-year-old man pondering life, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Why are things as they are? I wanted to find out what's real, what matters, what's true, and that's never changed in me. So what I want to do now is I want to share one more verse with you, and then I want to, want to give uh, a little bit of objective evidences to you for the truth that Jesus actually died and rose from the grave. In the book of Acts chapter 1, it says, After his suffering, meaning his crucifixion and death, after his suffering, he, meaning Jesus, presented himself to them and gave many, what does it say? Convincing what? Many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of how many days? Forty days after he had been crucified and buried in a tomb, he showed himself alive over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. That's where we started this, where, where those seals were about to be opened, and God's going to remove his protection from the earth, and he's going to allow things to cave in under their own weight so that he can, after the demolition is done, establish his kingdom that's going to come and his will that's going to be done. Many convincing proofs. Now, I want, to, I want to take you through a set of truths that I've shared many, many times, but I want to take you through them from the standpoint, I'm going to almost present this in a legal fashion to you. Evidence for the resurrection. Because there are some people, and it really irks me when I hear this. Forgive me if I just said that you irk me, but... Um, <laughs> they kind of act like it's like, oh, yeah, you can believe in Santa Claus too if you want to. <laughs> you know. Um, this is serious, compelling historical evidence. By the way, there is no credible historian alive that does not acknowledge fully that Jesus of Nazareth was a real human being. Any of these goofy things you find on the Internet that say otherwise, they have no credibility with real historians. All right, here we go. I'm going to take you through some evidence. Number one, they put a Roman seal to guard the tomb. The Jews were afraid that Jesus' followers would come and take his body since Jesus had told them he would rise from the dead. A Roman seal in those days, the Roman Empire governed the world. Jerusalem was, was in submission to Rome. When you saw a Roman seal on something, you did not touch it. In fact, you tried to get away from it because if something went wrong, you would be executed. They were terrified of the Romans. They, know how, they knew how cruel the Romans were. Next piece of evidence. And by the way, the, these, if you follow on the side there, it gives you the word resurrect. You might want to take some notes on this and help you sometime. The empty tomb except for the grave clothes. The fact that the tomb was empty. Listen, the enemies of Christianity could have stopped Christianity 2,000 years ago if they could have just come up with a body. There was no body. Now, it's interesting when you read in John's gospel, chapter 20, verse 6 and 7, when Peter and John went into the tomb, they found something weird about the way the grave clothes were lying. They would wind people up in gauze, you know, after they died in those days. That was their embalming methodology. Then they would have a separate cloth just for the head. When they went into the tomb, they saw the, the main claws around his body were evidently just collapsed like a cocoon. They found the head cloth, though, tossed to the side, meaning that somehow Jesus had, you know, his spirit or whatever had come through those cloths. And so they, 
found the empty tomb. And no one has ever been able to produce a body to this day. The soldiers gone. They got Roman guards to stand guard on this tomb because Jesus had said that he was going to rise. Roman guards were battle-hardened warriors, and they did not leave a post. To run away from a post would be potentially a death sentence for them. And yet these guards, when the angel came and the earthquake came, they were so afraid that they ran from their post. That's, that's, that's strong evidence. You take it to a court of law and say, what, what would have caused Roman guards, battle-hardened warriors, to run for their lives unless something supernatural occurred? The unexplained massive stone moved. Now, these stones were like two tons and up, and there was two ladies, Mary Magdalene and Mary, that were there. These two little 120-pound ladies or whatever they were, they're not rolling that stone. The stone was just kind of shoved aside. So how do you explain that? Then we get into some personal things. The radical change in two skeptics and one enemy. When Jesus was alive, he had brothers and sisters. You may not know this, but Scripture teaches it. One of his brothers was a guy named James. And it says specifically in the book of 1 Corinthians 15 that James, when Jesus was alive, did not believe in him. He was not Jesus' follower. But when James saw Jesus alive from the dead, he not only became his follower, he became a leader in the church of Jerusalem. It was only seeing that Jesus actually had risen from the dead that converted James. There was another guy. His name was Thomas. When the disciples first saw Jesus alive from the dead on the first Sunday, they were there together, ten of them, but Thomas was not there. Well, they all told him, he said, the Lord was here with us. We saw him. We saw him. And Thomas was like, yeah, right. Give me a break. He says, listen, until I can see the wound in his side where they put a spear in his side and put my finger in the wounds in his hands and feet, he says, I'm not believing this. The next Sunday, a week away, Jesus appears to them again. And Thomas just crumbles. He, <laughs> he falls to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. And that's exactly who Jesus was and is. He is Lord and he's God. And so Thomas is skeptic. He is, his heart has changed. But then there was this other enemy. There was this guy named Saul of Tarsus who went around and tried to destroy the Christian movement as it just was beginning. Saul of Tarsus was arresting followers of Jesus and even helping to stone them. Stephen, the first martyr, when he was being stoned, this man named Saul of Tarsus held the cloaks while they, they threw the stones down on Stephen to kill him. But then this man Saul sees the risen Jesus as he's on the road to Damascus to arrest more Christians, and he falls to his knees and he says, Lord, who are you? And from heaven, Jesus says, I'm Jesus, who you have been persecuting. And Paul says, Lord, he becomes Paul. He was Saul. He says, Lord, what would you have me to do? And that enemy becomes the greatest servant that God has probably ever had in all of time. He was the one the Spirit of God used to write 13 books of our New Testament. He becomes the Apostle Paul. He serves Jesus for 32 years and then dies by Nero, having his head cut off rather than renounce Jesus because he had seen with his own eyes that Jesus was very much alive. His repeated appearances over 40 days. We read about that a minute ago in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It said that it's not like he just appeared once or twice. For 40 days, multitudes of people saw him. At one point, 1 Corinthians 15 says 500 people, 500 witnesses to an event would be very credible in a court of law. 
the change of the day of worship, Jews were strict Sabbatarians. They, they, they wouldn't violate the Sabbath. They worshiped on Saturday. They went into a Babylonian captivity for 70 years because of neglecting the Sabbath. And yet they go from worshiping on Saturday exclusively to worshiping on Sunday, which was the day of the week when Jesus rose from the grave. And then finally this, the transformation of the disciples. I don't know how much of the Bible you guys have read, but when you read the story, when they came and they arrested Jesus... These men that had been with Jesus for three and a half years who trusted him and loved him, but who were very confused as to why he was not using his power. You've got to understand, the Jews believed that what the Messiah, the Christ, was going to do was use his supernatural power to overthrow the Roman government and that he would take control of the world politically and militarily. And so when they come and arrest Jesus, the disciples, they're all thinking, okay, this is the time, man. He's going to unleash that power on them. We saw him still that storm. Watch him stop their hearts right now is what they're thinking. Didn't happen. Jesus yields. He lets himself be mocked and ridiculed and arrested. They, they whip him brutally. And, of course, you know the rest. They, they crucify him in a, torture, a torturous fashion. The crucifixion, one of the most worst forms of death that had been come up with at that time. So the disciples were honest men. They weren't that courageous. They ran for their lives when they thought Jesus was not going to use his power to defend them. So what changed them? Because they end up going on to serve Jesus the rest of their lives. Most of them die a martyr's death for the sake of Jesus and refuse to stop telling people about him. What changed them? Well, what changed them clearly was when they saw him multiple times alive from the dead. They knew there was nothing to fear in death anymore. And they knew that Jesus really was King of kings, Lord of lords, and that someday to him every knee would bow. And so they went and they served for the rest of their days. Let me put myself in that crowd. Back in 1973, this same Jesus, through his word, revealed himself to me, conquered my heart, took away my fears, took away my hopelessness, changed my heart and my life and I have followed him fully freely and I'm going to follow him forever I don't know who you're following everybody in this room I'm going to tell you something about yourself you're following somebody you're either following yourself like I was for my first 23 years doing what I want when I want it how I want it you're either following yourself or maybe some other human I don't know maybe Buddha or somebody like that I don't know I'm following the one that rose from the dead. I'm following the one that the objective evidence points toward, came, lived, died, and rose again. And I have followed him now for 48 years. And I have only these regrets, the times when I didn't immediately and entirely obey him. Those are the only regrets I have in my life. The rest of my life, he has transformed into most beautiful wonderful way 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 beyond what I deserve I do not deserve it but I can stand here and tell you you can do no better for yourself no better for yourself than to follow Jesus fully and freely and forever when he says to change something in your life change it it's for your good in the long run when he says stop doing something I've learned the hard way stop doing it when he says start doing something start learning I've learned this the hard way too. start doing it start learning it because he knows what's best wants what's best he can't give us the best life possible even in this tough world unless we're actually willing to trust him to the point of obeying him and some of us some of us we've been on that periphery for a long time a lot of years and if nothing else the Spirit of God is saying to each of us today come close 
come close because he wants you he loves you he's for you but you've got to show that you really do trust him by being his follower in the real world in those places that I put up on that screen can I have that slide back again slide magical people If I'm a follower of Jesus, it's got to start showing in the way that I think about national issues. It's got to start, start showing in the way I think about judicial, legal issues, science, education, business, business people. My loyalty to Jesus has to show there. In my use of technology, entertainment, social media, all these things. If I'm a follower of Jesus and I have found him worthy... I've got to show that he's ruling and reigning in every area of my life because I trust him. I trust him more than I trust myself. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now, folks, we're going we're gonna to kind of close here in a second where we started with, with that, that moving, powerful song. Uh, after the song is finished, I'm going to come back, and then we'll close out in prayer. So. to that is he worthy have we found him worthy I want to share something with you on the screens to the side it says he is risen and he is worthy if he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings in your life and in every every area of your life or if nothing else from this day forward you want to make him King of Kings and Lord of Lords in every area of your life you said from this day forward you're worthy Lord I trust you and I will follow you entirely and serve you completely to the end of my life will you do something that's a lot of fun if you do it right as loud as you can they shout in heaven too it's okay will you say he is risen and he is worthy but only if you mean it can we go here we go he is risen and he is worthy amen let me pray for you Spirit of God, 
do what only you can do. Seal these decisions in our hearts and help us to live them out for the rest of our days. We ask it in the worthy name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. Thank you.